0: How about there? Right, it was muted. Right, some of you wish you had that control on your end, but you don't. It's up here. (laughs) All right, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our devotion for tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for this beautiful day that you've provided us. Thank you that we have this opportunity to kind of mix it up a little bit. Sit outside and enjoy the fresh air as we have a devotion tonight, and then share a meal together. Thank you that you're such a big God, and that you loved us so much that you provided everything that we need, not just for the times where it feels obvious to us that things are going well, but also for the times when things are hard and things aren't going well. Thank you that your goodness never changes, that your love for us never changes, that your provision for us never changes, and that you promise you can work things together for our good, even when that seems hopeless in the moment. Pray that we would just keep getting our eyes on you, when the circumstances seem overwhelming, that we would take our eyes off ourselves in humility and see that we're not going to be successful in leading or directing anything in our lives apart from allowing you to direct. That's the only way that our path will be prosperous. It's the only way that we'll enjoy your joy and peace that you promise, which can only be spent in your presence. Pray that we would not go through our days excluding you, that we wouldn't ignore you, that we would want to include you and have you front and center in our thinking as we go through every moment of every day, regardless of what that happens to be. Pray that as a church family, you could draw us closer to each other as we see that the mission is more important than our individual differences and even our personalities and our preferences. Pray that we would come together as a body of believers that are focused so squarely on the cause in front of us that the rest of it fades in the background. Pray that we could support one another, we could forgive one another, we could be gracious with one another, we could love one another, we could come alongside one another and lift each other up, we could encourage one another, we could be examples to one another. Pray that that would all be done, not through our own strength, but through the strength of your spirit working inside of us. Pray that collectively we could be a church family that would lift you high, put the spotlight on you so that many others in our community could come to know who you are and what you've done for them. Pray that you just undertake for safety for the rest of this evening, and that you get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of tonight's sermon is, I Dare You to Believe, and then that's all that will probably be fit on online when we label this, but How Much I Love You. I Dare You to Believe How Much I Love You. And I heard a song recently that was written from the perspective of God addressing one of his children, but it could have been any one of you. It could have been me. It could have been any one of us personally because we have a personal God who cares intimately about each and every one of us. And so that song was again written from the perspective of God speaking to his children and sharing a child in particular, I should say, and sharing a bunch of reminders and a bunch of truths and some insights that he wanted that child to know about himself as their heavenly father. And the sermon title is one of the lyrics from that song, I Dare You to Believe How Much I Love You, is what it said in the song. And that lyric, I dare you to believe how much I love you, keeps bouncing around in my mind, and it's been bouncing around in there ever since I heard that lyric, because it struck me as about God's love, I dare you to believe how much I love you. And it's a very impactful thing to consider, the love of God and how much he loves us and what impact that love should have on our lives. The, the implications of that statement, I dare you to believe how much I love you. That, I think, could have profound effects on our lives if we could keep that front and center in our thinking I'm convinced that ignorance about the depth of God's love or an inability to comprehend God's love or forgetfulness about God's love or unwillingness to presently live in light of God's love, that those things collectively limit Christian growth. That's what's limiting our growth in the faith. Those are the things that limit or prohibit us living in a way that God would want us to in an intimate closeness with him because we're either forgetful of it, we're unwilling to, to look at it or to live in light of it, or we're ignorant about God's love. And I would say that as much as any other spiritual obstacle, that ignorance or forgetfulness or, or uh, ignorance or, or inability to comprehend what God's love is all about, those are the things or that's a thing that is holding us back holding us back from enjoying life the way that God intended because we don't see him for who he is, his character in terms of his love in general, but we don't see the personal God, the personal nature of our God and his care and concern for us. And if we don't see that love, the rest of it gets muddled. It gets muddy. It's not something that we see clearly as well and it limits us from growing and walking by faith in a way that we otherwise would if we were fully convinced to presently believe in the depth of God's love for us. So tonight I thought as a devotional, since I had that on my mind, I wanted to briefly review a few key aspects of God's love for us. Now, it starts with this. The first observation kind of comes from Ephesians chapter 3, and if you want to start turning there, you can. Ephesians chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 17 through 19. But the fact of the matter is, you're not you should feel no sense of shame or remorse or guilt that you don't fully comprehend the depth of God's love for you. Because the Bible says that you can't fully comprehend the depth of God's love for you. So on one hand, understanding it and grasping it and comprehending it to the greatest extent possible, that's critical to us growing in our faith and living life the way that God intended to its maximum potential. But yet, on the other hand, we'll never fully understand or be able to grasp God's love. And so I wanted to start by looking there. So if you're not there already, uh, I'll give you a second to flip there. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 17. But specifically, Ephesians chapter 3 records, this section records a prayer that Paul has for believers that he loves desperately. And as he has that prayer for those believers, this is just one of many things that he prays for them. But we're going to pick it up in verse 17b, the second part of Verse 17, and it says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, meaning that you found your roots, you have your roots fixed in God's love, may be able to comprehend. This is a prayer that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Now, what does Paul want them to be able to comprehend? What is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge? that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So how am I going to be filled with the full fullness of God? How am I going to experience a relational relationship with God or a present relationship with God to the fullest extent possible? Well it's going to come from learning to comprehend or having a greater comprehension for the width and length and depth depth and height of God's love for me. A paraphrase of this section says this, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. And I think that's a pretty fair paraphrase of what this section is saying. The full extent of God's love may not be fully comprehended, yet in the same breath, it's critical to you experiencing life the way that God intends for you to live in light of or be focused on the extent to which you can understand just how great God's love is for you. So it's enough to say, I'll never know it fully because I'm finite and God is infinite. But yet, on the other hand, it's great to meditate and be reminded of the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love for us. That's why we sing songs like, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure." Right, We sing that, so we're reminded that the Father's love is very deep and it's so vast that we'll never really wrap our minds around it. But I want to focus on some of the things that we can wrap our minds on that will help us to focus on and I dare you to believe how much I love you, to have that greater present belief or confidence or trust in the depth of God's love for us. And so what parts of God's love can be understood, at least partially? Well, it's not an all or nothing kind of a thing. Just because you won't fully understand the depth of God's love in your finite existence until you go to heaven to be with him, you can appropriate, rest in, and stand in what you do know. So you talk about standing in his love. Well, we stand in what we do know about God's love. And what parts of his love do we know? Well, what do we know? We know that God demonstrated his love for you despite your sinfulness. And these aren't new verses. Any of you young people want to say Romans five eight? Anyone want to jump in on that? I'll help you. But God demonstrates or commendeth. Anyone is that enough of a hint? Anyone want to go for the rest of it? No takers. Oh, Don, Don. Don. Sadness. Will. Okay, Don. That's it, but God demonstrates his own love or commendeth his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So one of the ways that we do have a sense of how how deep the Father's love for us is is that we see that he was willing to demonstrate that love through action, this sacrificial action where the innocent was willing to take the place of the guilty. And of course, that's not likely news to anyone who's here, but if it is news to you, that is the good news of the gospel. That is the foundation of Christianity. Christianity is found in a person. It's centered in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And it's focused on not just who he is, who is the unique God-man who had given up the glory of heaven to come to earth and sacrifice himself as the sin-debt offering or the sinner offering for sinful men and women like you and I. The Bible said that all had sinned and all had fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin was death, that that sin had separated us from God because God was perfectly holy and he couldn't have proximity to sin or be tainted by sin. So God in his love, he said, I don't want to leave you separated from me, but there's none of you that's righteous. There's none good, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all stood equally condemned to an eternity spent separated from him. That's bad news. But the good news of the gospel was that God in his love, he wanted to make a way for those that were helpless, And hopeless and hellbound. And he sent, he made that way through the sacrifice of his son because God, being righteous and just, he couldn't overlook sin. He couldn't just turn his back on it or ignore it. A debt had to be paid for sin. And so that debt had to be paid by someone. And if the debt owed for sin was death, then somebody had to die. And the choice, the options were twofold. Either it was going to be you or it was going to be someone else who would die in your place. And God in his love, he said, I don't want anyone to perish, but I want all of them to come to a, a place of changing their mind about who I am and to have the opportunity to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish. He wants all to be saved. And so he didn't want anyone to have to take your place. So he took your place and himself by sending his son to die in your place. And as the innocent Lamb of God died in your place, he paid the debt that you owed. So the issue isn't, isn't are you a sinner? The issue is, it isn't, is sin separating you from God at this point? Sin has been paid for by the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus, as he died on a cross in your place. And so as God died in. On the cross in your place, he didn't somewhat deal with sin's penalty. He fully dealt with sin's penalty. And he said, all who will put their trust or believe in me, they will not perish, but they will have everlasting life. Whoever's convinced to accept as a free gift this offering of love that I have by dying in your place, that person can be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the hell they deserve to a heaven they don't. How do I get in on it? I believe in what God has done for me. So the Philippian jailer said to the apostle Paul, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Thinking human effort must be involved in this. And the simple response was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, believe what about Jesus? Believe that he died in your place, that he paid the debt that you owe, that there's nothing more for you to pay. So the only response to the gospel or proper response to the gospel is do you believe this? Have you put your confidence in what God did through you through the sacrifice of his son? Now I look around and there's only a couple of you I don't recognize. That's why I share that message of good news because perhaps you've never heard that before. And if this is the first time that you're hearing that, salvation is simple. Quit trusting in anything else or nothing else and put all of your trust in what Jesus already did for you on the cross as he died in your place. And if you believe that, that's an internal decision, a mental decision that has to be made. If you accept what he's done for you, God says, that's what, I, that, well, that's what I'll honor. That's what I'll accept. And this, that very moment that you do that, you're born into God's family, he says, he'll never let you go. Well, another verse about that that's very encouraging, also from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, it talks about how do we see this picture of how deep God's love is for us? It's through his sacrifice. But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses he made us alive together with Christ by grace have you been saved. And so we say we see the ultimate demonstration of God's great love for us was the sacrifice of the thing most valuable to him his one and only son jesus but beyond that so we see god's love for you and we're reminded of the depth of god's love for you that should encourage us to presently believe how much i love you that should be something that convinces you day in and day out thinking about his sacrifice for you but on top of that god communicated his love for you through his word and so we can't touch on all of the verses that would cover god's love for you or his reminder of how much he loves you in one what's supposed to be relatively short devotional here. So we're going to flash through a few reminders and and I'm thinking about Wednesday nights. I think a lot of times, you know, those who are often quite established in their faith, they come out to church to be encouraged in a midweek midweek study, to have a boost of encouragement from God's word. And what better way to do that than to be reminded of principles like this, of how much God loves us? Well, let's look at a few of these verses. Uh, you can start turning to Romans, but I'm going to read through a few so we don't try to turn to all of these here tonight. But, of course, we just covered this not that long ago in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Now, what is the example or the demonstration of that in the context of Christian living? That we should be called children of God to be reminded that I dare you to believe how much I love you, think about the fact that the God of the universe chooses to call you His child when you've done nothing to earn or merit that other than accept as a free gift what He offered you at some point in time in the past. And as a byproduct and a lasting result of that decision to trust in Him, He calls you His child? You can call Him your Father? What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us? Doesn't that pick you up to think the God of the universe loves me and he calls me his child? Now, in, in light of that, he's saying, I dare you to believe how much I love you. Don't, don't just take that as information that comes in one ear and out the other. Live in light of that. That's what he's getting at when he says, I dare you to believe how much I love you to believe in a sense of I'm going to appropriate by faith in my practical day-to-day, moment-by-moment living, I'm going to appropriate by faith this great love that the Father has for me as he calls me his child. And you think about all the different ways that people let you down and people disappoint you. And you know what? Your parents are not immune from that. Just like you as a parent are not immune from doing that with your own children. But God never fails, he never lets us down, he never changes, he never turns his back on us, he never forsakes us, he never forgets about us. He never lacks the wisdom necessary to guide or direct us in the best way possible. He never comes up wanting or lacking in any way. And he calls you his child. It's mind-boggling to think of that. Psalm 36, 5, and 7 say this, your steadfast love, and some translations have your mercy, That's a a translation of the word mercy is steadfast love. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Wait a second. It extends to the heavens? We're talking about the depth and the width and the height of the love of God for you? Don't look around at anyone else. Just think about yourself. That's how much God loves you. His steadfast love for you extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. How precious is your steadfast love, O God? the children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. What a great reminder of the depth of God's love as revealed in his word. Remember, he didn't give us these verses for no reason. He gave us these verses to remind us and instruct us and give us some greater comprehension of something that is difficult to comprehend, which is the full measure of God's love for us. So now if you've If you're there in Romans chapter 8, this isn't unfamiliar territory, but what a great reminder here. We're going to just read 35 and then 37 through 39. We're talking about being reminded through the communication of God's word, the revelation in God's word of God's love for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And we could skip the rest of it and say nothing and no one, right? But it goes on to say, he gave some examples because it's kind of one of those types of questions. Who shall separate us? And the answer is already assumed but shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword no the answer is no nothing and no one shall separate us from the love of Christ no in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and we're again remember reminded that it's god's love for us that drives this ship so if you're seeking to live out the christian life out of a sense of obligation out of a sense of being coerced into it, a sense of shame or guilt or regret. There's no hope in that approach. The response of the Christian is focused on God's love for us. We love him because he first loved us. And so the rest of it comes as a byproduct of responding to his love as directed by his spirit. And the first thing his spirit wants to produce in us is his kind of love in us. The fruit of the spirit being love and then joy and peace and on you could go. So it's God's love that drives this ship. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, and then he says, For I am sure or persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other nothing else, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's a slightly different Uh, Version, but it just reminds us no one and nothing can separate us from the love of God. He communicated that to you in your word. You know why in his word, because he knew there'd be times when things were really hard and you would start to question that you would start to wonder, does God really love me? Does he really care for me? And I'll tell you this, the things that are so hard in your life, they weren't created by God. He is good and he's only good. There's nothing about him. That's not good. So the hard things that are giving you difficulties and trials and tribulations right now, they're the result of the curse of sin. They're either the product of your sin nature, creating decisions and actions that led to consequences that were negative, or they're the result of the curse of sin on the human body and the natural realm around us, or they're the result of the influence of a satanic attack in a sin-cursed world. But they're not the result of God. They're not God's doing. God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you despite these trials that are brought about by human free will and human free volition. Now, he's chosen to allow those things to happen, but he hasn't abdicated the throne in doing so. He still remains in control, but he's chosen not to force his will or his way on people. And so as people make sinful choices, yourself included, there's ramifications that come with that that are extremely negative, and as we live in a sin-cursed body, in a sin-cursed world, we deal with those things, but that doesn't undermine the goodness of God or his love for you. In fact, the way God shows you his love is as you're going through and dealing with those things, God goes through those things with you. He never leaves you or forsakes you. He gives you the grace to deal with those circumstances. He gives you the provision that is necessary for you to meet and greet the next day, no matter how hard it might be, because he says, I have overcome ultimately. I want you to remember that you're in me, connected to me. This battle is already won. In the moment, you're going to have to endure these hard things in life. In this life, he told his followers, there will be hard things. But you can be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Those are the promises he gives us in the face of those adversaries that we face. Now, Romans five five, a few pages backwards, says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. One of the reasons we were even given the Holy Spirit is so that we could experience internally God's character living inside of us as God himself through his Spirit now takes up residence in each and every one of us. Well, that allows us to experience in a way that could never have been comprehended before, The love and character of God because God himself is living inside of us wanting to produce his manner of living in us. So what a great reminder that is even about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Then Psalm 31, 7 through 8 and again I told you this was just going to be a a smattering, a a cross section of some of the verses we could have looked at at reminders of how God's word reveals the nature and the depth of his love beyond the demonstration of his love on Calvary, which was his primary way of showing us that. But Psalm 31, seven through eight says, I will rejoice and be glad in what your steadfast love. Again, some have mercy there, but steadfast love is a better understanding of that because you have seen my affliction is God a, a real and present God. Yeah. Does he understand what we're going through? Yes. Ha, ha, was he tempted in every way just like we are? Yes, he was. Did he feel and experience the full gamut of human emotion and suffering and tribulation like we, like we do? Yes, he did. But he's seen me in my infliction. You have known the distress of my soul. Nothing takes God by surprise. He knows exactly what you're going through right now. And you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. So you saw what I was going through, and yet you didn't abandon me is another way of looking at that. You have set my feet in a broad place or a safe place, a flat place, a place where I can get my footing. Now think about that. You know how when life knocks you down, the thing that you're desperately looking for is what? To get your feet under you again? You're kind of flailing and backpedaling. You have that sense of feeling like you're going to fall on your face. Sometimes you do. And what you desperately need is to get your feet under you again, get your feet set again. That's what God's seeking to do in your life, regardless of what you're going through. So those are a couple of ways that we can reflect on what we do understand about God's love for us, even though we can't understand the full measure of it. And then if we understand and we're reminded about the depth of God's love for us as revealed through the sacrifice of his son and revealed in his word, then the last part of this is that presently believing in God's love, presently appropriating that love and meditating on it or sort of fixing our mind on that in any given moment, that's life-changing. That's life-changing. Presently believing in God's love is life-changing. So the lyric again, I dare you to believe how much I love you. I don't know what the song author meant by it, but what I take from it is, I dare you to presently appropriate by faith the depth of my love for you and see how that will change your perspective and see how that will change your life and see how that will turn everything on its head and give you a totally different way of seeing the world. That's what... I believe the song author meant by that. But I know that that's what God means by us focusing and meditating and appreciating and comprehending the love that he has for us. So I want to share a few verses about presently believing in God's love and how that can be life-changing. Jude chapter 1, verse 21 says this. I don't know if I had ever appreciated this verse before, but it says this. This is an instruction. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, you could keep yourselves in anything, but remain in the love of God is a way to paraphrase that. Remain in the love of God. Now, think of that. It's, it's this mentality where I'm standing in your love. That's another song that I, I love so much. But I'm standing in your love. I'm, I'm presently setting up a chair, and I'm finding my existence in your love. That's the place I'm going to. I'm standing in that. I'm living life in your love. I'm basking in the sunshine of your love in my life. And that's what Jude is saying. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy, again, tender love and kindness, of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Then 2 Corinthians five fourteen through 15, how would this change your life? So why are we standing in that love, and, and why is there sort of that lyric, I dare you to believe how much I love you, because it would change your life. And here's two verses about that. 2 Corinthians five fourteen through 15, most of you know this, but for the love of Christ, it compels or motivates us. Now, some take that as, as Christ's love for us. Some, of it, some people take it as our love for him. I don't think it matters too much which way you take that. It's still centered on either our love response to his love for us. We could never love him unless he had first loved us. So I ultimately take it as his love for us because no matter what, it always has to come back to that. But the love of Christ, that is the thing that motivates us. And I talked already about it's not guilt, it's not shame, it's not obligation. It's God's love that motivates us. So we judge thus. If one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. So it's a statement of something that is an absolute fixed fact. He did die for all. Now, with what purpose in mind, though? How would this change your life, thinking about this? That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. That's how it would change your life. If you're presently believing in how much he loves you and you're focused and fixated on how he demonstrated that, should you or would you see that change your thinking or change your life? It would be life-changing because you would say, I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm in him. I died. My life is now hid with Christ in God. So I'm living to lift him up. I'm living to promote him. What's left of my life, I want to live to serve him. Not because I have to but because my love for him and his love for me motivates me to want to live in a way that would bring him glory and have my life count for eternity. And that's effectively what Paul's saying in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That was the death of me. Now in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now what describes the Son of God? He's the one who loved me. And gave himself for me. He's not the one who demands that I live in a certain way. He's not the one who is waiting with the cosmic camera waiting to smash me when I step out of line. He's the God of love. The son of love. Who came and died in my place. And it's that love that should motivate me to remember that I died. And that my life is hidden with him. And that I wouldn't live for myself anymore anymore but live for the one who loved me and gave himself for me. So the question is, what is getting in the way? I dare you to believe how much I love you. What would be getting in the way of that? I'll say the answer to that is fear. Fear is getting in the way of that. We're scared to believe how much he loves us. And why are we scared about that? Why would that be scary? Because it means giving up control. Think into, Look into your own hearts. The number one thing that you're scared of is not having control. There's many other things too. Maybe I'm exaggerating to say even number one. But one of the things that every human being is scared of is not having control. And so... If I'm believing presently in how much He loves me, that means seeing that He knows best, that He wants what's best, that His way is best, that He wants to direct and lead my life. Well, what does that mean? This is the scary part. That means I'm not going to be able to be the one doing that. That means I'm giving over control to Him. That's what we're talking. It involves walking by faith, living in a way that says, I'm not going to lean on my own understanding, but I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart instead as a response to seeing His goodness and His love for me. So I dare you to believe presently how much I love you. That would mean trusting Him. And trusting God is scary because that means not trusting yourself, not leaning on yourself, not directing your own path. It involves The unknown, it involves the unfamiliar. It it involves the uncomfortable. You see, God, when you're walking by faith, God is going to direct you in places you wouldn't naturally direct yourself. And the places you naturally direct yourself are to the familiar, the comfortable, and the known. Familiar, comfortable, known. That's where you'll always direct yourself by default. And God's saying, I want to take you into the great unknown. I want you to trust me enough to use you in ways you could never even imagine. But that takes daring to believe how much he loves us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for this time that we could spend together. Thank you for reminding us of your great love for us and how that should impact our lives and our thinking. Thank you for this food that we're going to enjoy and for all the hands that were used in preparing it, all of the effort that went on behind the scenes to make this meal possible. Pray that we could enjoy it together and that we would enjoy a time of fellowship and that you'd keep everybody safe. In Jesus' name, amen.